You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. So this morning, if you, um, I, I want to I wanna carry on in the same vein that Pastor Megan uh, spoke about last Sunday. And so um, if you did not um, have a chance to, to watch last Sunday's um, message, uh, please do. Um, she said a lot of things that would go along with what I'm saying, but I just don't have time to say them this morning. And it would be really, really good. The two would go together very, very well because um, she did such an awesome job. So, um, parents, again, I'm going to be, like Megan did, I'm going to be talking um, about a sex, about a certain topic, a certain portion of it. I'm going to talk about pornography this morning. And so if you have children that uh, you don't feel are ready to hear that, um, then maybe find something else for them to do. But again, like Megan said the last week, um, they're, they're going, if they're going to school, they're probably going to learn about it. Um, if you have boys that are over eight years old, you should find the time to talk to them about this because um, pornography is absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. You can't get away from it, really. So, 25% of search engine requests are related to sex. 35% of downloads from the internet are pornographic. 40 million Americans say they regularly visit porn sites. 70% of men aged 18 to 24 visit a porn site at least once a month. 70%, that's 7 out of 10. The largest consumer group for online porn is men between the ages of 35 and 49. A third of all internet porn users are women. And here's something interesting. Sunday is the most popular day of the week for viewing porn. And Thanksgiving is the most popular day of the year for, for watching porn. Um, in February of 2010, the number of people using work computers to visit sexually orientated websites was as high as 28%. And that was 11 years ago. According to research conducted by the Nielsen Company, that's what they said. The average visit to a pornography site from a work computer was about 13 minutes during the month. The average worker was estimated to spend one hour and 38 minutes on such sites in a month. If we leverage the data extracted from March 30th to the Bureau of Statistics, and of course this is American, right? But we're not far behind, we're not much different. Um, it calculates the hourly earnings at $23.23 an hour. So you take that times an hour and 38 minutes, and you see a loss of roughly $38 a month. Multiply that by 12 months, $456 per person. The number of U.S. employees reported by the Bureau of Labor of Stats, Statistics as of March the 30th, 2012 was 132 million. So if you divide that, if you do the math, the companies are losing $16.9 billion a year to pornography from lack of production. Um, and you know what? The, the, the church isn't, unfortunately, the church isn't much different. One in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis or are currently struggling with it. That's more than 50,000 American church leaders. 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say they have struggled with pornography in the past. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. It's up to like 69% of men at this point. 
Um, only 7% of pastors report their church has a ministry program for those struggling with pornography. So the church is kind of, well, how do I say it? The church is kind of dropping the ball on this one. Um, we do have a program for it. We are one of the 7%, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit later. But 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about pornography with their friends. 55% adults, 25 and older, believe porn is wrong. Teens and young adults from 13 to 24 years old believe that not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. That, that one really threw me for a bit of a loop. Every day, 37 pornographic videos are created in the States. Every day, two and a half billion emails containing porn are sent and received. Every day, 68 million search queries related to pornography. 25% of the total searches are generated. And every day, 116,000 queries related to child pornography. About 200,000 Americans are classified as porn addicts. 40 million American people regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to pornographic content through ads, pop-up ads, misdirected links or emails. According to the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families, in 2010, 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 40% of people identified as sex addicts lose their spouses. 58% suffer considerable financial losses. And about 33% of these people lose their jobs. 68% of divorce cases involve one party meeting a new, new person over the internet. Well, 56 involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Pornography is a huge problem. A huge problem. And most of those stats I just read were 10 years old. And it's worse now. We have an enemy. There is an enemy that is fighting to kill, steal, and destroy um, us for the sole purpose of thumbing his nose at God and saying, I got another one of yours. He doesn't care so much about us except for the fact that if the enemy can hurt us and cause us to believe a lie about God, then he can hurt God by doing that. His whole purpose, he wants to hurt God. And the only way he can do that is by harming us because we are his children. We are the ones that we loved. We are the ones Jesus died for. And make no mistake about it, pornography is demonic. There, there are spirits of, of um, sexual, um, I don't know how, what the word I'm looking for, but there are spirits specifically designed to lead people into sexual indiscretions for the sole purpose of hurting God. The sole purpose of hurting God. So we have an enemy, and we have to realize it. Like, um, it's in our culture, and it's everywhere, and it's there for a reason. It, it, it's there because um, there is an enemy fighting our souls, fighting to take us down. And he uses pornography, probably not pornography, he uses sexual uh, sex. He uses 
and pornography is a big part of it, but he uses sex to tear people apart, to tear families apart. And, and it's a huge, it's a huge thing. Conditions that frequently co-occur with pornography, and I'll come back to this in a bit, but depression, th these are things that people who are addicted to pornography, they also, lots of them also have these other underlying issues. Depression, anxiety, social anxiety, mood disorders, sex addiction, substance use disorders, memory problems, smoking, eating disorders, and spending disorders. Porn will lead you to a distorted belief about God, about what he finds acceptable, and about um, his word, about his word. In Matthew chapter 5, 22 to 23, we've been reading um, in Matthew as a church, every day a chapter, whatever the date is, that's the chapter we're reading. And when I read chapter 5, this stood out. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, then how deep is that darkness? Now, Jesus isn't talking about your physical eyeball here. What Jesus is talking about is what you look at, what you take in, what you watch, what you read, what goes into your mind through your eyes. Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When the things that you read, the things that you watch, when they are healthy things, your body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And the light you have is actually darkness. So when you watch pornography, your whole body fills with darkness. If you watch pornography for any length of time, you will start to believe things that are wrong about God. For instance, if you watch it for any length of time, you will start thinking that, well, God gives me the desires in my heart. And what I would really, really like is somebody, another woman other than my wife or another husband other than, my, than the one I have. And so if God gives me the desires of my heart, it must be God's will for me to have somebody else. And as silly and as dumb as that sounds, that's the way it works. Because as you take the darkness in through watching the pornography, the darkness invades your thinking. And then Jesus says, and how deep is that darkness? So if you think, carrying that analogy further, if you think, that God wants you to have somebody other than the person you're married to, you are deceived. And you are walking in deceit. That is not God. God does not do that. God believes in marriage. And Megan mentioned that so well last week. So the eye, Jesus said, your eye, your eye, what you take in to your body through your eyes, what you look at, what you meditate on, what you dwell on, and you cannot watch pornography without dwelling on it. I mean, it just, you just cannot do it. It's not possible. Um, and I know some of these things sound absolutely um, like, duh, of course. Um, but it distorts your thinking. When you, when, you are, when you are stuck in pornography, when you are stuck in an addiction, and it is an addiction, 
your thinking gets skewed. And, and I, it is an addiction in the sense that the dopamine that your brain produces when you watch porn is exactly the same as the dopamine that your brain produces when you take cocaine or any other drug. It's exactly the same as the dopamine produced when you drink alcohol. And it's the dopamine in your brain, that chemical your brain is producing, that you become addicted to. And so with the pornography, the dopamine that your brain releases, you become addicted to that just as much as you become addicted to dopamine when you do cocaine or any other drug. It is an addiction. It is an addiction. And it acts like an addiction. People who are addicted to pornography isolate. They don't watch pornography out on the front step. They go off by themselves to do it. Um, some people may watch it in their living room, but they isolate themselves. And that's just something that addicts do. They isolate themselves. A hardcore alcoholic will drink by himself. Um, a drug addict will take the drugs by themselves. They don't have to be with people. Uh, it is not any different than por pornography. So in, in, in walking around and praying this week, I, I really felt that God wanted me to talk a little bit about Balaam's error. About Balaam's error. I don't know if you've ever heard of Balaam's error, um, but I'm going to spend some time on it this morning. Um, if you go to the book of Jude, there is only one chapter in Jude. So starting in verse 10, this is what it says. Now, Jude is talking about false teachers. Jude is talking about um, people who come into church and, and into their church and they teach, but they teach falsely. They, they're teaching for profit. And they're not teaching um, because they love God. They're not teaching because they want to see people set free. They're teaching for the sole purpose of getting money. These people insult anything they don't understand. They behave like irrational beasts doing whatever they feel like doing. Because they live by their animal instincts, they corrupt themselves and bring about their own destruction. How terrible it is for them. For they have followed in the steps of Cain. They have abandoned themselves to Balaam's error because of their greedy pursuit of financial gain. Revelations chapter 2, verse 13. Now, in, in Revelation, this is one of the letters to the, to the seven churches. And Jesus says this, I know where you live, where Satan sits enthroned, and yet you still cling faithfully to the power of my name. You did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of my faithful martyr Antipas, who was executed in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to eat things that were sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. The, Balaam's error is the pursuit of financial gain through sexual immorality. Balaam's error is using sex to make money. Taking something, and Megan mentioned this last week, sex is a gift from God. It is something that is incredible. It is something that God gave us because he loves us so much. But Balaam's error, what Balaam did, he used that sex to make money. Balaam is the guy with the talking donkey, and I don't know if you remember that. Um, but Balaam was a prophet. God spoke to him. People would come to him like an oracle. They would give him a gift, and he would seek the word of God for them, and then he would tell them what God told them. So the Israelites have left Egypt. 
and there's this horde of a million plus strong people and all their animals and all their livestock. I can imagine once they went through the land, there was not a blade of grass left and it was just desolate. But there's these Israelites and they're moving along. Nothing can stop them. Nothing can stop them. And so they go into Moab and they get to, and, and the king of Moab calls Balaam. And he sends his servants out to Balaam and said, I need you to come and curse these Israelites so that once they're cursed, we can attack them and we can kill them and drive them all off. And I need you to come and I need you to curse these Israelites. And Balaam said, well, let me ask God and see what he says. So he goes that night, he goes to pray, spends the night seeking God. And God says, don't go with those guys. Israel is blessed. You cannot curse them. Do not go with them. So Balaam goes out to them the next morning and says what God told him to do. I can't go with you. God says no. So they go back to the king, which is Balak, and the king ups the ante. Okay, then I'll give you more, more stuff. I'll give you more money. I'll give you more, more jewels. I'll give you more financial stuff, but you have to curse them for me. And so his servants go back to Balaam and say, we'll give you even more money if you'll come and curse the Israelites for us. And Balaam says, well, let me go see what God says. Maybe God changed his mind. And so he goes back to God again. Now God is angry with Balaam at this point, but God says, okay, go with them, but you cannot curse them. It, it won't, it, you will not be, okay, say only what I say to say and you cannot curse them. And so Balaam got up the next day and went with them. There's, there's, there's a, just as a little rabbit trail here, when you ask God for something and God says no, He's not going to change his mind. You can nag him into saying, okay, you can go do that, but it will not be good for you. It will not be good for you if you do that. I don't know if you remember the story of when Israel wanted a king. This was when they got King Saul. And God says, I'm your king. You, should, you don't need a king. And they said, yes, we want a king. We want a king. And God said, well, okay then, but you're not going to like it. And God gave them a king. So just as a side note, if God says no, he doesn't change his mind. He may let you do it, but it will not be good for you. It won't be God's highest. It won't be God's best. Anyway, so Balaam goes with them. He is um, riding his donkey. And there is a narrow, the, the road where, where the cliffs come in, and it's very narrow. And the donkey sees an angel in front of him with a sword blocking the way. So the donkey stops. The donkey gets a little frightened and it squishes Balaam's foot against the side of the rock. And Balaam gets mad and he beats the donkey. He gets mad and angry and he yells at it and he beats the donkey. And then he gets on the donkey and tries to get the donkey to move. Well, the donkey moves a few steps and then stopped again. And I believe three times the donkey did this. The third time the donkey laid down on the ground and of course Balaam's legs were under the donkey and he got extremely angry and he started whipping the donkey <laughs> and then the donkey talks to him the mule says 
What are you doing? Like, have I ever done this to you before? You're like, basically, isn't, don't you think there's a reason why I'm doing this, maybe? And, and, and Balaam, being so astonished that the donkey is talking to him, God opens his eyes, and he sees the angel standing there with the sword. And the angel says, why did you beat the donkey? Did the donkey just saved your life. If you would have gone, if the donkey would have brought you the way you wanted him to do, you'd be dead now. The donkey saved your life. And so Balaam doesn't connect the dots for some reason. The angel goes and he heads off to see Balak. Balak takes him up to a mountain top so he can look down Mount Peor and he looks at all of the Israelites down there and says, curse them. So Balaam opens his mouth and blesses them. And the king gets angry, very angry. And Balaam says, I told you, all I can say is what God says to say. All I can do. Um, so <laughs> the king takes him to a different peak on a different mountain. Maybe, maybe you can curse them from the east instead of the west, and maybe it'll work better that way. And, uh, and so then we have... Balaam opening his mouth and blessing the Israelites again. The king is absolutely furious. And he says to Balaam, he says, all that stuff I promised you, all that money I promised you, well, forget it. You never delivered. I'm not giving you a penny. You can go home. He's very angry with Balaam. And so Balaam went home. But somewhere in there, Balaam went to Balak and said, I cannot curse the Israelites. If you want to defeat the Israelites, what you have to do is take the Midianite women and you need to send them into the Israelite camp to seduce the men, to have sex with the men. And if you can do that, then you can defeat the Israelites. And that's exactly what happened. In Numbers 31, Moses is, is berating some of the Israelites as they're coming back into camp because they brought Midianite women back with them into the camp. He says, what do you think that you would allow these women to live? They are the ones on the advice of that instigator Balaam who are responsible for seducing our men and leading the Israelites to reject the eternal at Peor. They brought down on us that punishing plague that killed so many people of the eternal one. And if you want to read the story of the plague, it's in Numbers 25. But the Midianite women went in, seduced the Israelite men, um, and their sex was immoral. Uh, Megan talked last night about uh, people at Corinth and about their gods and about the immorality. Well, um, Moabites weren't any different. They had, their god was Baal and they had took, they did child sacrifices to this thing and sex was a big part of their, of their worship. It's interesting to note, you know, all the religions in the world, they all have a sexual deity of some kind. Um, just, just as a side note there. Um, but you can read that whole story in Numbers 25. God put a plague on them. There were 24,000 people died in that plague because of, what, because of the Midianite women and because Israel accepted the Midianite women. And um, the story goes that as Moses is talking to them and telling them they have to get rid of the Midianite women, this guy paraded right in front of Moses with this Midianite woman and took him into the tent to have sex with her. And as he's doing that, Aaron takes a spear and goes into the tent and puts it right through both of them at one, one shot, because one's on top of the other, they just put it right through them. And then God, then the plague stopped. That's the only thing that stopped that plague. So Balaam's error 
was using sex for prophetic profit and, and to destroy the Israelites. So sex for profit is prostitution, right? People who get paid for sex are prostitutes. And what's pornography? People who get paid a lot of money to have sex. They're just really high-priced high prostitutes. And you watch them, and, and, and you take that in, and you start to believe that what they're doing is okay. All the different scenarios that they put out there. And your eyes get clouded, and then the darkness inside of you grows, and you think that it's okay. You think that it's light. And that makes the darkness even worse. So Balaam's error is using the gift of God for financial gain. Sex was a gift God gave us. Balaam was using it to make money. Pornography is using sex to make money. Balaam's error, pornography is part of Balaam's error. Second Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read these verses from 10 to 16. This is what Peter, and, and this is how Peter talks about Balaam's error. Verse 10, and above all, it shows that he will punish those who let the desires of their bodies rule them, who have no respect for authority. And this especially applies to those who live their lives despising authorities and who abandon themselves to chasing the depraved lusts of their flesh. People like this are so bold and willful that they aren't even afraid of offending heavenly beings. And although heavenly messengers, in spite of the fact that they have greater strength and power, make no accusations against these people before the Lord. These people who speak ill of what they do not understand are no different from animals, without sense, operating only on their instincts, born to be captured and killed. They will be destroyed like those animals. Receiving the penalty for their acts, they waste their days in parties and carousing. They feast with you. These stains and blemishes on your community are feasting on their deceptions. Their eyes are always looking for the next adulterous conquest. Their appetites for sin cannot be satisfied. They seduce the unwary soul, and greed is the only lesson they have learned by heart. God's curse lies on them. They have been veered off the right road and gotten lost, following in the steps of Balaam, the son of Beor, the false prophet. Balaam loved the reward he could get by doing evil, but he was rebuked for crossing the line into sin. His own, speech, his own speechless donkey scolded him in a human voice, an amazing miracle that reigned in the prophet's insanity. Those are pretty hard scriptures. <laughs> Those are pretty hard verses. But that's what God thinks of sexual immorality. That's what God thinks of pornography. That's what God thinks of prostitution. That's what God thinks of people who have an affair. Let me rephrase that. Um, that's, what, that's what God thinks of an affair when it happens. The pornography, the sexual immorality is bad, and God hates it. And that's the good news. <laughs> the good news is that God loves us enough to show us what he thinks of it. Instead of letting us run around in our deception and in our darkness, he loves us enough that he'll bring us to the place where we're broken before him, and we've, we've gone like the prodigal son, and we've ended up with the pigs, and we realize suddenly what we have done and what we've become. And then God is there 
to help us out of it. And that's the awesome news. The good news is God hates pornography. The better news is that there is a way out of it. For those who have an addiction to pornography, there is a way out of it. There is a way out of it. So I'm, I'm going to switch directions a little bit and talk about getting free from pornography. Pornography is not the problem. Pornography is a symptom of the problem. In the same way that a runny nose is a symptom of a cold, pornography is a symptom of a much bigger problem, a much deeper problem. Most of the addictive thoughts that drive you into the ground happen at the limbic level. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. The, the, the limbic system is part of your brain. It is the part of your brain that does flight, fright, or freeze. So it is the part of your brain that makes you react to protect yourself without knowing it. And just, you just do it, and then you stop, and you go, wow, what did I do that for? For instance, if you're, if you're walking down a path in the woods, and you're just hiking along, and you see a snake come out, you instantly jump back. You don't have to stop and think, oh, I need to get away from the snake. I'm going to jump back now. It doesn't happen. You instantly jump back. And that's your limbic, that's your limbic system protecting you. And then you look down at the snake, and you see that it's just a, a twig laying on the ground, and you just think that you're such an idiot because you, you're such a fraidy cat because you jumped back when you thought it was a snake. But it has nothing to do with being afraid. It, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with your limbic system. Your limbic system is what makes you protect yourself automatically. It's subconsciously. Um, pornography will medicate pain, emotional pain, and it will drive you there It will drive you to medicate your pain. So there's always a route to pornography. There isn't anybody who habitually watches pornography that doesn't have an emotional route attached to it. And that's, prob that's the same with most addictions. You're medicating an emotional pain that you may know you have, that you may not know you have, but your limbic system will drive you to that spot. Have you ever, ever promised anybody, I will never, ever do that again. I will never watch porn again. I'm never going to go there. I have learned my lesson. That's it. I'm not going. Uh, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Just, I'm just going to make a decision right now, and I'm not going to do it. And then three, four, five, six weeks later, you find yourself exactly at that spot where you swore you would never, ever go. First of all, you have an addiction. And second of all, you have trauma somewhere in your past that wasn't dealt with. Trauma does not heal with time. Time heals all wounds? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Trauma stays there. You learn to live with it. Sometimes you can get to the point where you bury it and you don't even remember it. But it is still there. It is still causing you to protect yourself. It is still causing you to numb the pain. And that's what pornography does. It will numb the pain. Your brain has neural pathways in it. Um, and what you dwell on a lot 
creates a neural pathway, a pathway for your thoughts to go. It's simplistic, but that, that's kind of what it is. And as you go through that, the more you dwell on that, it gets bigger, and the more you dwell on it, it gets bigger and bigger, so that your thoughts go down there really, really, really easily. It'll go down that path really easy. When you go to bed at night and you close your eyes, that's what you think about, because it's the easiest thought. You don't have to work not to go there. And they have, they have done scans on brains and seen these with microscopes and stuff. It will physically create a thought canal for your thoughts to go down. Trauma does that. Trauma will do that. And then your thoughts will go there. Unless you have the Spirit of God helping you not to think that way, it will go there. It will go there. And if you've done pornography long enough, you need the Spirit of God to help you not to go there anymore. You cannot do this by yourself. Nobody can do this on their own. Nobody was made to do this on your own. So, lots of times, lots of times, many, many people, especially Christians, who have a pornography problem, many of them, the, the root of the problem stems back to living in a home with Christian parents who were more concerned about the rules than they were about loving their kids. They were very strict parents. They had rules. You have to do this, 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 and this, and then you'll get to heaven. And the child formulates a performance mentality so that they have to perform. They have to perform to do. And they never, they never ever perform properly enough. And they are always in trouble. They are always in trouble with their parents because they always break a law. My dad told me one time that when he was a kid, every Saturday evening before they got to eat supper, they all had to sit around the table and confess their sins for that week. And they would, the kids would all get together before supper and they would decide, okay, you, you um, confess that sin and I'll confess this one and you do that one over there. And they would decide which sins they were all going to confess because if they said I didn't sin, then they got uh, punished for lying. Um, to a young child, that's extremely traumatic. That's extremely traumatic. And it's that kind of trauma that leads people into addictions. It's that kind of trauma that leads people into pornography. So David, King David, had abandonment issues. And I will show you where I get this from. So, but we can start with David and Bathsheba, which is in 2 Samuel 11, but we won't go there. I'll, I'll tell you the story. I think we all know the story, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. You have David and you have Bathsheba. You have Bathsheba's at home, and she has her own issues. She has a husband that's been gone for months and months and months and months. And he finally comes home, and he won't sleep with her. He won't touch her. He won't even sleep in the same house with her. He sleeps on the front steps. So she's got, she has some needs that aren't being met by her husband. David, on the other hand, is watching from on top of his palace. And do you think for a minute Bathsheba didn't know that David was there? I mean, we always, we always vilify David. Um, but Bathsheba was looking for attention. And if she's going to bathe on the roof and you look up and you see David up there, I mean, it's, 
it, it goes without saying that these two both had some problems. David had abandonment issues. 1 Samuel 16, 11. This is Samuel going to anoint David as king. So he goes to David's father, Jesse, and he says, I'm here to anoint one of your sons as king. So bring out your sons and let me have a look at them. So he brings out all of his sons. I forget how many there were. I think there were seven or eight. And uh, Samuel goes and looks at the first one. Goes, mm, God says, nope, not that one. Okay. So he goes to the next one. And God says, nope, not that one. So he goes to the next one. And God says, nope, not that one. And he goes through all of them. And God rejects every one of them. And so Samuel says, are these all of your sons? Verse 11. Jesse says, all but the youngest. He's off keeping the sheep. Samuel sent for him and said, bring him here. We will not sit down until he arrives. And Jesse sent the youngest son, David, and he came in front of Samuel, who's a handsome boy with a healthy complexion and bright eyes. Jesse said, everybody is here except the youngest. The meaning of that word, youngest, means the one of least importance. The useless one, the one that takes all the useless jobs because these are the important ones and that one we don't care about. Jesse didn't care about David. Jesse didn't allow David to be part of the family. There is a midrash. A midrash is a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. Now, um, so a midrash, uh, the Jews believe this. There's, I don't know if there's any evidence, so I'm not saying that this actually happened, but there is a midrash that says that Jesse was the top guy in the temple, the church. He was the guy. He was the top lawyer. He knew the law inside out and backwards. He knew God's law, every, every bit of it. Um, Jesse was the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. And so Jesse looks at that and knows that Ruth was from Moab. She was a Moabite. So Jesse starts to question his own lineage and his own right to be the top guy at the church. So what he did, he sent his wife away and hadn't seen her for three years. So Jesse wants more children. So he finally goes to talk to her. She said she's not interested in having any more kids. But Jesse really liked her maid. If you know the Bible at all, this is going to sound a little familiar. Um, and so Jesse decided that they were going to, he was going to have children with the maid. And so the Midrash says the, um, the, his wife and the maid, they got everything all together and ready, made sure it was really, really dark so he couldn't see. And then it was actually his wife that he went in and had sex with and not the maid. And David was conceived. And they say that Jesse and all of his brothers and sisters, all of David's brothers and sisters, believed that David was an illegitimate son because nobody but Jesse's wife and her maid knew the truth. And so they treated David like an illegitimate son. David was abandoned. Psalm 27.10, David says, My father and my mother abandoned me. I'm like an orphan, but you took me in and made me yours. He's talking to God. Psalm 51.1, 1, 
I was brought forth in the state of wickedness. In sin, my mother conceived me. And from the beginning, I too was sinful. So David didn't know the truth either. Psalm 69, 8. Even my own brothers, those my family, act as though they don't want anything to do with me. So David had abandonment issues from when he was a child. And David used sex to numb the pain. And Solomon, even worse. So there is a Bible precedent for all of this. And the good news is, the good news is that God can pull you out of that. It's a, it is a difficult road to walk, but God can take and he can pull you out of the pornography addiction. He can pull you out of the pornography that is so harmful, that is so harmful to everybody that watches it. It is so harmful. But we have hope. We have hope. The program that we use at, at, here at Embassy to help, to help people go through this is a Pure Desire program. And for those, Pure Desire is the name of a Christian counseling uh, company. And they have a website, it's puredesire.org. And they have all kinds of um, resources on the website. So one of the resources is a self-addiction screening test. So you can, um, you can go take the test. It's a 50-question test. It's yes or no. And then it tells you how to take all the yeses and nos and figure out um, whether you have a problem or not, whether you have an addiction or not. And I would, if you wonder at all if possibly you might have an addiction to pornography or any other kind of sex, take that test. I mean, you can do it in private when no one ever sees you. No one knows what the results are. You'll be the only one. Um, on our page, on the embassy webpage, under the resource tab, there is a link to that document, A Pure Desire. And you can take that test and you can find out whether you have an issue or not. If you know you have an issue, get help. And you can call us. You can call and talk to me. You can call the front office and ask for me. You don't have to tell the front office what you want to talk to me about. Um, you can just tell them it's some counseling or you just need some, some advice. And, and um, we'll sit down and, and we'll talk about it and we'll figure it out. You can, if, if you're watching this and you're not in Prince Albert, you can, you can sign up to an online Pure Desire group to help, to help sex addicts to step out of that. Um, it's a very well-written course. It's very well done. And so I would encourage you, if you feel at all like you have a problem in this area, have a look at the test. You know, get some help. I mean, there's a number of things that, you know, it's a spiritual problem to start with. So you need prayer. You need to talk to somebody about it because if you keep it a secret, the shame will blackmail you into never, ever telling anybody. Um, and if God is speaking to you, if, you know, call somebody you trust and talk to them about it. I mean, if, if you don't want to talk to me, that's fine, you know. And, and, and I'm, not, 
I'm, I'm specifically, of course, I'm talking to men, but if, if there are some women out there who also have an issue, call. Um, and, and we can set you up with, with somebody. Um, we can set you up with a counselor that can help you. That can help you. The whole purpose of this message is to let you know that you don't have to stay where you are. You don't have to stay in that, in that bondage, and it is bondage. I read before some of the conditions that come along with pornography, depression, anxiety, social anxiety, mood disorders, sex addiction, substance abuse, memory problems, smoking and tobacco use, eating disorders, and spending disorders. Those are just naming a few, but all of those, all of those are emotional issues. And it's it, the fact that most people who are addicted to pornography have some of these that go along with it just reinforces the fact that it is an emotional issue. You need to go back and fix the problem. You need to be healed from whatever trauma you had when you were a child. It has to be fixed. It has to be healed. I don't know how to heal that without God. Only God can do that. He can reach into your heart, into that trauma, and he can heal it. He can heal it. And once that's healed... Then you, then you can walk out of it. You know, there, there, is an, there is a dopamine addiction. There's probably going to be some withdrawal as you walk out. But I'm telling you, we're here to help you walk through that. We've walked a number of people through this. And it's an awesome course. And it works really, really well. And the love of God just doesn't want you to be there anymore. God just wants to pull people out. And, and God is talking about this. Megan... Megan mentioned last week that God's not going to put up with it anymore. The sexual infidelity, God does, wants to clean it out of the church, but it doesn't mean he wants to kick those people out. It means he wants to deliver them. It means God wants to reach in and he wants to deliver you so that you can stay part of what he's doing, but be purified. So I'm not going to belabor it much more. I'm just going to pray over all, everybody watching and tell you that if you can't find your way out and you, if you're addicted, you probably can't. There is help for you. There is a way that you can get out of it. Father God, I thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your love that wants to reach in and deliver us. Thank you for your love that doesn't want the sin to be there anymore. Thank you for your love that doesn't want Satan, doesn't want anything demonic to have control over us anymore. He just wants to set us free. Your love just wants to set us free. And so, Father, I pray for each individual out there. I pray that you would open their eyes to see. Lord, if they've been watching pornography for any amount of time, Jesus, you said that the light inside is dark. But the Holy Spirit, you could reach through that. You could reach through that darkness and you could shine a light into them so that they could see what it is that you want to do with them. I just pray that you would open their eyes so that they could see clearly where they are and what they need to do to get back. Thank you, Father, for everything, everything you've given us. You're so awesome. Thank you. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.